time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. The next chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-author on this show, the one, the only, the magnificent, the stupendous, the terrific, Lindsay. It's all true. All of it. It's all true. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about the solo novelization. So obviously, if you didn't get this by the title of the show that said solo novelization, there's going to be spoilers for solo in here and the solo novelization. Uh, but before we jump into that, I wanted to just take a minute and uh, we, we're recording on uh, Monday the 24th today. And uh, we heard about the passing of Gary Kurtz. So we just want to send our thoughts and prayers uh, to the Kurtz family and uh, just thank them uh, and thank Gary for all that he brought to the Star Wars community um, and the fandom and just the art that he helped uh, to produce being a producer on. I know he was on A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back for sure. Was he on Return of the Jedi? I don't think he was. Think he Let was. me double check that, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think he was. But but either way, like that doesn't diminish uh, obviously any of the the work that he did uh, in bringing this galaxy to life. And all of us nerds wouldn't be sitting here talking about this uh, without without Gary Kurtz. And so, again, just thoughts and prayers uh, to his family, and uh, just know that if you're listening to this, the whole Star Wars community is here for you. But on to a little more jovial uh, talk. What, you, what have you been reading lately, Lindsay? So, actually, I haven't been reading any one specific thing. Um, but I've read something a few weeks ago called The Five-Hour Rule. Which is when you dedicate one hour every single day to trying to learn something new. So that's actually what I've been doing instead of picking up a new book, just every night setting aside one hour and trying to learn something, whether it's about, you know, macroeconomics, something about nutrition, things like that. So I've had some really varied reading, just not one specific novel or anything. God, now you make me feel bad about myself. I'm like, what am I doing <laughs> with my life? Um, no, that's that's cool. Yeah, I... Uh... I kind of go through phases where I do not exactly that, but a very similar thing where I try to just like put a whole bunch of new content in my head and then I'll let it sit and kind of marinate it on it for a little while. Um, I do a lot of that with like motivational stuff like Eric Thomas and whatnot. But uh, I actually, so I just finished Deceived um, a little bit ago, which is the second book in the Old Republic series, which again, just like Revan, I have read that one before um, and, and it was, it was fine. Uh, I enjoyed it. It, it was a Star Wars book. I mean, uh, action adventure kind of thing. Um, it wasn't exactly. If, if you listen to the show before, you know I'm kind of more into the character uh, studies and getting into the emotional side of things. And there is an emotional side to it, but but it's not the focus. Um, so it, it's far from my favorite book, but it's definitely not bad. But I actually am taking a little bit of a, uh, a hiatus from Star Wars books, and I went and got. There's a series I've been wanting to read for a while. And it's called Twisted Tales. And they take um, 
the the Disney fairy tales and put a spin on it. So the one I'm reading right now is called uh, As Old as Time, and it's Beauty and the Beast, but instead of um, just some random witch, the witch that curses uh, the prince is actually Belle's mother. So that book is I'm That's really enjoying really it. That's really cool. Yeah, they've got like they've got Mulan, they've got Aladdin, Little Mermaid, and there's one other one I feel like I'm missing. I feel like there's five. Um, and I've been kind of looking at the Mulan one for the longest time, but I'm cheap, and, and if it's not a Star Wars book, I'm not buying a, a hardback. So the only paperback <laughs> one was the Beauty and the Beast, which, like, I don't know why. I never really connected with Beauty and the Beast when I was younger, but after the uh, the Emma Watson one came out in 2014 or 15, whatever it was. Uh, That's what got you? That, yeah. I went back and watched, like, the animated one after that, and I was like, this is great. What was I doing with my life? Oh, it's so, so good. That one was always my favorite. No, I was always more of a Lion King guy. Mm, um, true. Yeah, Lion King Toy Story was my jam. So I, I was yeah. into that stuff. Um, I don't know why, but I love Beauty and the Beast. And so it's been it's been a really fun uh, fun. Book. I always loved Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> Lion King for sure. My mom actually threw the cassette tape out the car window because we wouldn't stop listening to it. That's awesome. Um, and Hunchback of Notre Dame was always my other big one, which I feel like is the most underrated Disney Renaissance movie ever. Uh, ugh, I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know. I'm it, I'm not the I biggest love it. fan. Cartoon goats get me every time. Uh, to me, Hercules, it will always mm. be the most underrated. That is a great movie. I like, I collected, Did you, do you remember the collectible plates they had from McDonald's? Yes. yes oh my god I had all of we used to eat dinner off of those every single night oh we were... oh my god i haven't thought of those in probably the 20 years since they've come out and they just came back into my mind so vividly when you said that and don't you miss them now don't you just yes them? it's <laughs> I so do. bad that oh my and god, the um oh it was i think it was batman it was either batman forever or batman and robin they did the collectible glasses and I always used to drink my water out of those. And, like, every night we would – you know how, like, you wash dishes and so you just put whatever you take out of the dishwasher on top? Well, yeah. we started using the Hercules plates, and so they always ended up on top. So we always ended up using Hercules plates. I don't know. That's so funny. Good times. Oh, my God. I can't believe you just said that. Shout out to my mom for making me the dork that I am, uh, you know, 20 years later still wearing Disney and Star Wars T-shirts. <laughs> you didn't stand a chance. No, there was no hope for me from the get-go. So uh, so I don't think there's really any major book news to, to really get into. Um, I'm sure we're going to get some, some more stuff coming once uh, Resistance is kind of out. I really hope we get some kind of like young adult novel around Resistance. I really would like something like that. I think we will i'm just surprised that they haven't announced it yet if it's gonna be coming especially you know we're coming up on the holidays pretty quickly and i feel like there's a real lack of like new merchandise for this time of year maybe it's just because last year we had forced friday and there was a lot more going on but i'm actually pretty shocked with the lack of merchandise and book announcements that we've had lately yeah it does it's kind of it's slowed down a lot. I'm trying to think. I mean, we got a bunch of the announcements um, when the solo stuff came out, and that was the last major rollout that I remember. I guess maybe they're 
maybe they're biding their time until the episode nine stuff comes because celebration is when april april so april, i think so. they're gonna announce a lot in april yeah for sure and then i think they're gonna do a big marketing push in the summer for galaxy's edge and then for episode nine this time next year that would make sense that would definitely make sense and maybe like a you know what would be really cool is like a batu visitor's guide thing oh right that you get like because so this will kind of lead into our, our book but uh when i i got solo the weekend that it came out um the the digital release but we went out of town that weekend so i didn't get a chance to watch it so finally like the tuesday or so of the next week i texted you guys and i was like you were like i was like oh i finally get to watch solo now like i've been waiting to sit down and watch it because i only saw it two times in the theater and you asked me if I noticed anything new, and I was like, no, not really, but I did pick up on some of the stuff I heard people talking about. But one of the things I did notice that I don't remember anybody mentioning, although I'm sure somebody else has, was the mention of Black Spire by L3. Have you caught that? I didn't catch it. I think you did mention it, though. But no, I didn't, I actually did not catch that in any of my viewings. It's when they're walking on the little uh, catwalk going from the the little canteen to the impound lot and lando says that you know i would have wiped her memory but she has the best damn navigational uh database in the galaxy and she says something to the nature of you couldn't get from here to black spire without me or something like that so hmm. yeah so i mean nice they're, catch they're definitely putting a, and we've talked about it before they're putting a lot of emphasis on that connection between the different materials and i think like what better way to get excited to than to create like a batu visitors guide that's like targeted specifically for like the middle grade kids you know the ones that are not going to stop annoying their parents that they want to mm -hmm. go to batu until they actually take them to batu <laughs> i mean i'm just saying i'm gonna be doing it to my fiance i'm sure you can get some nine-year-olds to do it <laughs> so uh, jumping in fair. I, so that kind of leads into the book because you know, with the mention of L3. So we'll go ahead and jump into it. Um, overall, I wanted to get your thoughts, on, and this was a little bit down the list, but I want to kind of get to it first because I feel like it'll lead to other things. What were your thoughts on, on L3 originally when you saw the film? Um. All right. So after my very, very, very first viewing, I actually thought she was kind of annoying only because she was so over the top, you know, we're going to make her the feminist and the voice of the people and whatnot. Um, but once you get over that kind of like real initial slap in the face of what she is, the more I watch it, the more I like her. So overall, um, you know, she's certainly no K2SO who for me was just the biggest scene stealer of rogue one, but I don't know. I, I like her. I could take her or leave her. So I'm kind of the same way, um, and, and that's funny that you said, you know, you kind of softened on her a little bit because that's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching it yesterday. But in the book, to me, she was a much more important, I guess, uh, an integral character. She just felt more natural in the book almost. It wasn't as in your face with the, the droid rights and everything. And I almost wonder if that can be attributed to the performance of uh, 
Phoebe Weller-Bridges. And not that it was a bad performance, but she definitely plays the character in a very um, expressive way. You know, lots of movements. Almost, I, I kind of think of it, you know, like an Italian always speaking with their hands kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, she speaks with her whole body. Um, and, and she has that flexibility because she's built herself. She can turn her head every way and her arms are always moving and she's got that swagger of a walk. Get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. Did you kind of feel the same way or do you still feel like L3 kind of is... No, bad? no. And, and it's so funny you say it too because my thought on this, and it's not even that I know the answer, but the question I would pose... Whenever we're talking about a book-to-screen or a screen-to-book adaptation, I always find the characters in the books that much more likable. And I think it's because you take out that performance element. So you can you don't have to worry about these little idiosyncrasies that the actor might have. Or you don't have to worry about the body language that might seem foreign to you. You can kind of design the performance in your head the way you want it to be. And that I think was the difference in L3 for me. It was kind of just, let me tone it down a little bit. Let me make this more appealing in my head because I can. And let me just access the character that much better and have that much of an easier time accessing the character. Because again, it's not that she's a bad actress. It wasn't a bad performance. It just wasn't how I would want to do it. So what you're saying is hashtag the book was better. Hashtag the book was better. I am saying it. I don't Wait, think no. I've ever said it. No, are you seriously I'm saying, saying it? it? I think I am. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so yeah. let's dig into that. What was it about the book that made it better for you? Besides just the, you know, what you just mentioned about being able to kind of create your own performance around it. You know, I think it is more, and we said this from the very beginning with solo we wanted more from it. You know, it was a lot of fun. It was some good action, some good scenes. You know, you really go along for the ride pretty immediately with the movie. But we had so many questions about the characters. And for months, you and I have been sitting here talking about some of these characters saying, just wait until the book comes out. You know, we're going to get into their heads a little bit more. And I think the book found a really good balance of keeping things fun and exciting and having this chase and this heist feel to it while still evolving the characters that much more. I think the book just found a better balance doing that than the movie did. Yeah, and I like my major problem when I read a, a novelization of a movie is I do tend to not read as in-depth because I'm just kind of like watching the movie in my head as I'm reading. So like, honestly, there's a lot of the, the solo novel that I just like, was that in the novel or am I remembering it from the movie or, you know, kind of thing. Um, but this one, actually, all the novelizations except for The Force Awakens have really captivated me. Um, I think they've all done really special things. Rogue One did some special stuff with Jin's character. Last Jedi, obviously, with those extra scenes and kind of just you need all the information you can on that movie because there's so much to it. But then this one, I think you're totally right. It, it definitely was fun. And it definitely, 
It was it was like the joyride that Solo is, except across like five to seven days instead of two and a half hours. Um, and, and I feel like the places where I had some problems, it really added to those things. So one of those major places, and I think the best example um, that we can jump into is is Kira. And we talked we talked about this, and we also posted on the Facebook group about it, and I'm going to pull it up here. But we both were under the impression that Kira was a part of, I uh, almost said Black Sun, a part of Crimson Dawn under her own volition. But apparently, she was a slave. I, that how do you feel about that? That surprised me. It, it surprised uh, me, too. And I, I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. I would have, and I want to give Megan on the Facebook group a big shout out because she, I think articulated this really well that you need to look at the American current definition of slavery versus the previous and maybe other cultural definition of slavery, which is more indentured servitude. And that's closer to what Kira is in my opinion. I was really surprised because really and truly she seemed to work herself up and be very high up in the ranks and have a lot of respect in the, in the syndicate, especially Dryden Vaz's respect. You know, it wasn't just, you know, luster or anything like that. She seemed to really have his respect. And that's why I was surprised to really just put it out there that she was a slave. Yeah, and throughout the Most Wanted and the the film, we kind of get, the, we definitely, I shouldn't say kind of, we definitely get the impression that she she's somebody who always has a plan, right? And she's somebody, whereas Han's looking at, like, how this could end well, from the get-go, she's looking at how could this end badly. You know, even with uh, the the plan to escape, she mentions it, but you can tell she wasn't as serious as Han was about it. It was kind of like, yeah, I mean, this is a you know a dream that kids have, but we're not actually going to be able to get out of here. And then when she's when they're escaping, you know, Han says we'll go anywhere the Empire isn't, and she talks about how they they're not going to be safe, they're not going to have anybody to protect her. Most Wanted makes it a very important point that she's always looking for an exit. So, like, when I was watching the movie, and even without all that that background stuff from Most Wanted, I got the impression that she felt like they got me out of the white worms, like, I owe them one, you know, she talks about that, but also, like, if I leave this, I don't know what there really is out there for me, and so I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of with you with kind of the indentured servitude, but not even like a, a physical debt you know she mentions kind of having a debt to to dryden but more of the like the safety aspect of it you know like if yes. i leave here and go with han he, like as much as i love him he doesn't have a plan and, and she's one of those people that needs to know that whatever risk she takes is going to end well for her which i think is what makes the end of the book and the movie so compelling and, and really brought kira home for me as a character that I really enjoy is she kind of gave up that security that she had for Han, but at the same time, like 
she used that security to her own advantage you know she's now a leader in crimson dawn you know she goes literally from a slave to a mob boss in a matter of seconds and so i felt like i felt like the idea of her as a slave worked really well in the book i feel like that was the piece i actually thought about this when when i when i was reading it was the piece of kira that i was missing and not that everything has to be overtly stated but i felt like that's something that should have been it does though raise for me a lot more questions about crimson dawn and these syndicates because i just find it really hard to believe that we're now going from one of the most powerful men in the galaxy or at least in this underworld being killed to okay now a slave is going to take over everything like you're really telling me that she's the real she really is the top lieutenant even as a slave you know so i just have it raises a lot of questions for me i think it fits really well with her character and it's a cool concept i just don't really buy how flushed out it is see i kind of have my head canon is maul knows she's not telling the the whole truth and so he's gonna kind of let her play mob boss for a while while he kind of figures out where her loyalties lie uh because he makes maul makes it clear like one person alone couldn't have done this and she's like i wasn't there i don't know like um and so maul definitely knows something's afoot something's not right here but he's not gonna maul's not somebody who's gonna burn an ally just you know because he's he's especially the post phantom menace maul is very calculating and and I feel like he really, everything he says and everything he does has a purpose. So, again, like, this this is, we've talked about it a lot. It's such a, a story that sets up a lot of other things that hopefully will get a payoff at some point. Like, I feel like it makes so much sense now, even if you don't do a solo sequel, to have some kind of crime syndicate sequel where you get Darth Maul in there. Um, you you can bring Kira in and and just kind of explore that relationship a little bit more. And is she now that Voss is dead? Is she actually quote unquote free um, and more of a metaphorical slave, or is she still like an actual slave? I I don't know. I just felt like for me, it gave me that understanding of why she really felt like she wasn't able to go with Han. You know, like, if if you spent, what, 20-something years, 30-something years as a slave, like, you're going to feel kind of worthless as a human being, you know, except for a a few rare instances. Um, But I also think it makes her sacrifice really impactful, you know? Like like I said, she's, she's literally giving up her only chance at freedom to let the man that she loves go free. And and I, I don't know. I just think that's powerful. Um but yeah. Anyways, I don't really have I don't really have much else to say on Kira. Do you have anything you wanted to add? Uh just that I still love her and I still want a lot more content with her in it. Yes. You absolutely. know, she she really is just such a unique character that we haven't seen before. Um, And I know definitely this whole idea of 
master and owner is something that we've played around a lot before with. Um, and I don't want to say too much only because I do want to actually work on an article for the site about it. Um, but yeah, cheap plug right there. Isn't it weird? Weird how that happens. Yeah. No, I definitely think that's something that could be very interesting to explore, especially like if you get into, I guess the, the, I guess small wouldn't really have any interaction with the empire. So if you get into the syndicates, um, you know, basically working with the empire, and you have Crimson Dawn interacting with the Empire, you, you, you got to have Kira there, right? Because, I mean, I think Sidious knows Maul is alive, but I also think they're not going to acknowledge each other in any way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's definitely a, a potential for more storytelling there is, is some kind of book series or television series or comics um, about about Kira and, uh, and the crime syndicates working with the Empire. And, and again, you get to get into that kind of moral gray area where she kind of lives um do you think we're gonna get any of that or at least like a dryden voss mention in the new season of clone wars obviously kira's not gonna be in it or anything like that but do you think crimson dawn and dryden voss are gonna be in it i don't just because i don't think they're gonna have time for it i feel like we're pretty much locked in for exactly what they already had yeah yeah uh bad batch and the Utapau arc um and maul wouldn't really be you know running crimson dawn at the siege of mandalore although i did notice and i don't know this was just a random thought i did notice watching the movie yesterday maul is actually wearing the same crimson dawn necklace that kira wears Ooh, see yeah. another good catch and you so, said you only caught that one thing i just thought about that i just thought about that last night and, and caught it so there maybe there's some kind of visual connection that they're making there but uh so kira was kira was the character i really wanted to talk about you mentioned really wanting to talk about beckett and honestly like i don't really have much to say so take it away <laughs> Lindsay. so i was very puzzled by beckett after seeing the movie, and in a way I still am, just because his betrayal seems so shocking, not because it was necessarily a good twist, but just because it seemed so out of place from his character. You know, you have this nice guy who takes in this runaway kid and this big Wookiee, He clearly really loves his partner. He wants to play the Valencarp or whatever it is. You know, nice musical guy. And then all of a sudden he just totally turns. And he does this shocking thing. And I kind of sit there wondering still, like, is it within his character to do this? Because what up until that point led us to think that Beckett has only Beckett's interest at heart. And what I expected was in the novel for us to get these glimpses into who he really is and these evil things that he thinks and does on the side that just didn't either either didn't make it into the movie or just we didn't see for any reason. And... I don't know, after the novel, after reading this, I'm probably more confused because it makes him even more of a softy than he was in the movie. So I was just really surprised by that. I don't know, what's your kind of take on Beckett as a character either in just the movie or in the book? So 
the way I think, or what I think was going on in Beckett's mind when he was, you know, turn basically turning and betraying Han, um, or walking away from him on Savarine, is I think he knew right away that he was going to Dryden. Uh, I, I think he was going to try to settle his debts that way because he knew that if he said no and tried to fight through, like, between Hans being a good shot with a blaster uh, and and Emphis Ness and all her people, like, he's like, I'm I'm going to die. The, I think the only chance he had of staying alive was going to Dryden and, and telling him what their plan was. Um, and I, I think Han also knew that. So I don't really feel like it was out of character. Um because he literally says like don't trust anybody and you know he brings that line back up at the end and and i always felt like he kind of even though he was connecting with with han and you know says we got a makings of a good crew here i always felt like he was kind of keeping him at a distance and to me beckett is a very callous character if not like outwardly at least on the inside because i mean you think about val dies rio dies and and in the book we have i'm blanking on the fourth guy's name uh but their muscle chorus or something yeah he dies in the in on mimban so like in a matter of hours he's lost the three most important people in his life and he punches on one time and they're good so there's i don't want to say like I don't think he's a sociopath, but kind of that that idea, you know, like sociopaths are kind of cut off from emotional states. I feel like to an extent, Beckett has that in him. I think I want you to be right. I just don't think you are only because he was so connected to Val. And I think a real sociopath wouldn't be able to have that connection. I think what would have served the story a lot more is if Val had survived and Beckett's primary driving factor was, I need to escape this life so her and I can be together. Because once she dies, I don't really understand what he wants now. No, I I definitely agree with you. I think, I think he's almost doing it, like, on autopilot, you know? He, yeah. This is who I am. I'm a criminal. It's, he doesn't have, like the Han in him where, you know, he can meet this young kid who's inspired and, you know, join a cause. He he just, he's so callous and worn down. And I think that that's who Han, or the tra- 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 trajectory, I can speak of the English, uh, that Han is on, you know, at the beginning of A New Hope and Luke is the one that diverts the path. But Han wasn't able to do that for... Beckett because Luke never wanted to be Han Luke wanted to be his father whereas Han wants to be Beckett um so it makes that difference and I do think like you said they missed a and we've talked about it ad nauseum in the fandom but they missed a huge opportunity with Val um I really like because Beckett literally mourns for about half a second over her you, you you get no i mean honestly she had no real purpose other than blowing the bridge up and blowing herself up so that you know you could think for half a second that maybe beckett's going to turn on han you know maybe beckett's not going to you know let han come with him anymore or whatever but literally like 30 seconds later beckett's looking out for han's best interest 
So yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was just, I was really, I guess, just disappointed with that character, both Beckett and Val, really, and how they were handled. So I was really hoping that in the book we would get to see more. I was really hoping that the reason we didn't get what we needed from them in the movie is because either one, there wasn't time or two, it wouldn't be seen from Han's perspective. So it didn't make sense to put it in. And I don't know. We just got the total opposite direction with Beckett than I thought we were going to get in this book. Yeah. And I almost feel like to some extent they kind of, wrote wrote the character of Beckett for what he needed to be for Han in the script and then they hired Woody Harrelson and it, t- to some extent whether they intended it or not was kind of like it's Woody Harrelson like he knows what he's doing and there were so many other problems going on on set that the last thing they were going to worry about is somebody who's been acting for what 35 years or whatever you know it's proven that he can come in and and put in a good performance and, and do these characters but because of that lack of development for the character, it it, re- it really shows, I think. I think it really shows. And oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I still want to read the Beckett comment and, comic and hope like that gets me a little bit more uh, of his character. But, yeah, he's really... He's to me, to me, I mean, he's important to the story, obviously, because, like, he's Han's mentor. But I could take him or leave him. The... The one thing, though, or or the great thing about the novelization is we do get, in some ways, those extra tidbits that we don't get in the movie. So there were a couple I wanted to jump into. And the first one was the chase through Corellia. And uh, it, it's one of the deleted scenes, but the, the scene with the eels. Uh, obviously the homage to Indiana Jones and the snakes, but... Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? What were your what were your overall thoughts on that scene and was it a good addition to have in the story? I kind of liked it. It went a little bit too long for me. Um, but I think it was really good to include a deleted scene or an expansion that early on in the novel. Because it, for me, really set the tone, okay, this is something a little different. This isn't, you know, we mentioned it a few minutes ago when we read these types of novelizations. It can be really easy to almost skim through because you're like, I know what they're going to say next. I know what happens here. So to have this big expansion this early on in the book, I was like, oh, I got to kind of pay attention. You know, they're they're willing to add things. They're willing to expand on what I already know. It's going to be good. It's going to be different. The scene itself, too, I think explained the Han and Kira dynamic so much better. And you and I have obviously read and spoken about Most Wanted, so we understand that dynamic a little bit more. But this was a great way to introduce the relationship for people who hadn't read that, I thought. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, like, when... We, when I was reading this, we didn't have the deleted scene yet. So it was the first time that I was seeing it, which I I like a little bit more. Um, because, it, it, like you said, it kind of it fits more naturally and it kind of sets you up like this is going to be the same story, but not all the same pieces, you know. And 
it really it, you you definitely put the hit the nail on the head that it definitely opens the story up a little bit and and shows their relationship and i think the great part is it just was i mean it it was written perfectly it just was a absolutely a relationship uh moment between two people who really get each other you know like even though it was you know hans trying to be all romantic and she's just like don't don't do that right now like it was like a married couple almost you know it, like it really was he makes it, the joke. it was so nice too that they were able to expand on um han and kira at the same time but not yes. necessarily as a couple i think that's really hard to do yeah it really is and i mean we talked about earlier kind of kira's the no nonsense you know always finding a way out and, and that shows that perfectly um, and so, yeah, I think overall it just worked really well. Obviously, it wasn't in the movie because the the foot chase got changed to a speeder chase, which I think was definitely the right choice. But I would have liked a moment like this in the in the beginning of the the book. The other one that really stood out to me, um, and I wanted to save this until we kind of got deeper into the conversation. We talked about L three and Kira earlier, but one of the almost universal issues that people have with this film is the cockpit sequence with L3 and Kira in the movie. Because it really is just two women sitting there talking about what guys they like, you know, um, and what guys like them. And it's very um, cliche and very much so against kind of the, the direction that Star Wars is and should be going. So, if I remember correctly, Lindsay, you you were thinking kind of the same thing with that in the movie, right? I was, and what I was immediately reminded of was Celebration Orlando. Um, so this was when they released like the trailer for The Last Jedi and things like that. And Dave Filoni got up and he was talking about Rebels. And he mentioned a scene in one of the first couple episodes of Rebels when Sabine and Hera are in the cockpit and it's just the two of them and the original script was like oh so you know you and Ezra you and Kanan and Filoni's the one who came in and he was like we can't have that you know we can't put two women together and just have them talk about the guys so they changed it to them talking about these rebel cells and what the plan of attack is and the empire and all I could think of watching that scene in the movie was this is exactly what Filoni would have gone in and changed. Yeah, absolutely. And and so we get to the book and they expand on that scene a lot more. And we get that conversation between Kira and L3 about the restraining bolt and where's your restraining bolt, which becomes a theme and a motif that runs throughout the story i personally think if the scene was included in the film as it is in the book it may it still wouldn't have been perfect obviously there would have been problems but it would have been far less problematic than it is in its current state it would have been and i think the reason why they didn't include it is because it takes away from the primary focus of what the movie is supposed to be, which is Han Solo's origin story. Um, but I feel like you need that extra bit of Kira. I think you need that look on her face when L3 makes her realize she has a restraining bolt. 
you know, because you you literally have this droid who built herself, who is fighting for freedom, you know, who could easily just fall into the, the stereotype of, I'm a droid, like, I'm going to be, you know, the sidekick, but, you know, she's not going to listen to her organic overlord. And then you have Kira, who we think of as a person who would have free will and who has moved up the ranks, but as she has improved herself, like, her restraining bolt has just been put on tighter and tighter. And I think it added a lot to Kira in the end, especially that scene right when she's looking out the window. You know she's got to... I, I feel like she's thinking, like, about that conversation, about her restraining bolt and how, you know, like, is my restraining bolt off now or am I really free or is it just on tighter than ever? Oh, I, abs- I absolutely agree that I wish they were able to include that and I do think that's what she was thinking. But again, it's so hard because at what point then do you say, okay, this isn't a solo movie. This is a Kira movie. So all the more case for why we need more Kira content because it's such an important theme and it could be so well done, clearly either in books or movies, that just give us more of this character. Let us explore this entire side of the galaxy that we've never seen and this type of character that we've really never seen before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I want more Kira. I'm definitely with you there. But I, I feel like if you're going to have a movie that's already two two hours and 13 minutes... Yeah, what's an extra it, five? Not even. I feel like... Honestly, like, if you cut the part about, like, them liking boys... And you make it focus on the restraining bolt. You're adding like two minutes to the film. I think honestly, they wanted to get that little joke about about L three and Lando in, and like, how would that work? It would work, kind of thing. And instead of making Han and Kira the the main relationship of the story, I feel like to some extent L three and Lando kind of took that role in terms of like a romantic relationship. And I don't know if it's just because it's like a person and a droid, and that's really like, I don't want to say an awful idea. Yeah, it's really different from from what you would normally think of. But I feel like adding that in would have just added a lot more to the end of the story. And maybe at some point we get that. Maybe at some point we get you know some ancillary material, Akira and Crimson Dawn book, where she has a conversation with somebody. You know. Um, was it John Kasdan just put out those like 52 tidbits about Solo and one of the things he mentioned was this is never supposed to be the full story of Han and Kira this is just act one and two so there's act three out there um, and so maybe on one day we get act three and that adds that little piece uh, of the conversation the last big one that I had uh, written down is the epilogue but before yeah. we do that, is there anything else that I'm missing, really major points that you wanted to hit on the story? I, I feel like this is going to be a good place to end. I think just that it sounds like you agree with me that hashtag the book was better. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think you feel it. I feel like I feel like the book. I feel like there were parts of the book that were significantly better than the than the movie. My problem is, like, I'm not much of an action-adventure reader, so I literally don't remember anything that it said about the Kessel Run. Uh, I don't remember most of the speeder chase. 
like today i was i was thinking like honestly i don't even remember was it a speeder chase or was it a foot chase in the book i honestly don't remember because like i just zone out through those kind of things so mm, i will say they are equally interesting how about that is that all right that's fair i'll give it to you i'll give it to you all right uh, but so let's go ahead and jump into the epilogue because this is the part that ob- it's it's obvious why it wasn't in the movie. But oh my god, this was me with my jaw on the floor almost to the extent I was when I saw Darth Maul in the theater. And <laughs> this is a if you're already this far in, you're probably not going to read the solo novel or don't care about spoilers, anyways. But if you do, if you want something that is a really juicy, good. Uh, surprise at the end of the book and you haven't read it like go like subscribe all that good stuff and turn it off now because we're going to spoil the heck out of it we have empus nest giving the coaxium to saw guerrera and not just saw little Jin. so cool and and like how awesome is it that in this time where, you know, we're complaining about, I shouldn't even say complaining about, because that's not the right way to put it, but we're, we're raising the concerns and the, and the proper concerns that L3 and Kira are, you know, talking about boys in the cockpit of, you know, basically in the backseat of a car kind of thing. And then at the end of the book, you get Enfys, who is a leader of a rebel cell and the future person that's really going to blow the rebellion into the galaxy talking with each other you know it it really that's what we need more of like even if it's not like a a a teenager and a kid but we need more of those those females talking with each other and having conversations like we got with leia and holdo in the last jedi and so just the whole thing was was beautiful it was beautiful and it was it was so well done and i love how just quick and to the point it was and I think that's part of why it was so beautiful. It was just, it played out so cinematically on the page where you understood the momentous occasion that it was and they didn't even realize it. And it was just so, you know, it, it just didn't linger on things. It didn't draw anything out. It was just, hey, this is it. It's significant. See you later. But also I think it ha- it, it showed the varied viewpoints that the rebellion had in its infancy, mm-hmm. you know? And so when we get to rogue one and Jin becomes kind of that martyr that they all unite around, even though they all have these different points of view. And that's what makes the rebellion so different from the empire, you know, as you have those unique points of view. And so it just, you, you definitely knew like, even though Jin was young, this was, a meeting that she was going to remember. She might not remember every word, but she's going to remember that one time she met that girl and really, you know, she told her, you know, like you're going to be underestimated. And whether that became like a mantra in her head or just something that she kind of internalized, we see that with Jin later in life. You know, she's taking it in the wrong direction at the beginning of Rogue One, but then towards the end of Rogue One, she's taking it in the right direction. You know, there we're going to take, this chance, we're going to take the last chance and then we're going to take the next chance and until all the chances are are done, you know, or we die kind of thing. Um, and, and there's kind of, I, f- I feel like a seed of that here. And also, 
So I was listening to San Diego Sabres radio podcast. If you're not listening to that, go subscribe right now. They are awesome. But they, uh, Steve on there mentioned that, I think it was Steve, um, mentioned that at one point, Terrace Cossie was supposed to be mentioned in Rogue One. And then that's what uh, Saul was supposed to be teaching Jin, the, the fighting style. And so they're clearly, you know, they obviously pulled that, but there's clearly like been a connection between Rogue One and Solo going on for some time. So it's kind of nice to see that connectivity now. And I, I really would like, I, I, I don't have the time to, or patience to do it, but I would really like like a timeline of the rebellion where we have like all these important meetings just laid out nicely so you can see how all the pieces fit together. That's my only problem with like getting stories out of chronological order is kind of figuring out where they go. Um, obviously like this happens, you know, 10 to 12 years before Rogue One, but I, I just think something like that would be really neat. No, I agree. I completely agree. You said it really well. But yeah, so at, at the end of the day, it was awesome to see that. It was really cool to to think about the fact that now Saw Gerrera, who we know is a little bit crazy, has his hands on 60 million credits worth of coaxium, which is, as we've seen, very explosive. So you know he's... He's uh he's not barbecue. He might not be up to any good. Yeah, probably not. Which is you know it, it's good because it kind of shows the the desperation that Emphis has. Um and and then also that she really has a mission focused on the crime syndicates and not necessarily the empire. So, I think if you you want to get into further stories with Emphis, which we want further stories with Emphis Nest. Please, please. please. Um, especially because like it's a mantle that gets passed down whether it's through generations or you earn it or whatever. Um those are stories you can keep telling for ages and ages, but uh, uh, you know, seeing Emphis's crew go more and more against the crime syndicates, you can tell these amazing Star Wars stories without having to oversaturate the rebellion empire era or those dark times so i think there's a lot of potential there we want more emphasis nest i think i've said it now twice i'm gonna say here, it three here. times just in case we want more emphasis nest if you didn't get it by that by now you're not gonna get it anyways so uh <laughs> to... <laughs> spoken like a true teacher yeah pretty much so i did have a final question on here could more stories uh, come in book form, but I think we've pretty much said we want more Emphis Nest in book form, in TV form, in movie form. We want more Kira. We want more just all of it. We want more all of it. I think Solo Solo is a... I think Solo is the Star Wars story we needed because it told us, like, we can tell these simple, short, little stories, not only just in a book or in a comic, but we can tell them in a film. We can tell them on a TV show. Uh, but we can also tell these epic stories in the same way. You know, like Aftermath, I feel like, has a, even though it, it's far from our favorites, it definitely has more of an epic feel to it. Um, Lost Stars, the same way. Rebels has more of an epic feel to it. But then you also have those little episodic things. And I, I like the idea that we can go into these things not knowing, like, is this just going to be a simple story? Like, you know, a new dawn or solo that happens over a couple days, but really changes the course of the characters, or is it going to be some big thing that changes the course of the galaxy? And to me, it makes it a little bit more intriguing. So, uh, let's go ahead and close out with our Lothcat rankings. And 
Lindsay, I will let you go first since I kind of have an idea about where yours is going to be. Ooh, I'm curious about where you think it's going to be because I would actually give this, <clears throat> sorry, probably a three out of five. Wow. Okay. So I thought you were going to go four. I, th- I definitely no, thought you were going to go No, four. I'm going to go three because there were still a lot of elements that I thought were way too similar to the uh, movie. So it really did feel like I was skimming through a lot of it. And then, like you said, you know, it's it's tough sometimes to get into the action adventure of a book. Um, and it's something we've talked about before where sometimes it's just hard to visualize. And luckily we had the movie to go off of for this one. But yeah, not just not enough for me. So I would say three out of five for this. I'm going to have to go same. I'm going to have to go three out of five. Solo, the film is probably sitting like 3.5 out of five right now uh, for me. It's battling out It's battling out Attack of the Clones about who's going to be my eighth or ninth and tenth spot. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you said it perfectly. It, it adds some good stuff, which definitely makes it worth reading. It's a fun read. Uh, Mer Lafferty does a fantastic job. Her prose is is right on point. Like the... It's not the book that doesn't fire on all cylinders. It's definitely the story itself that's missing elements. Um, and, and I feel like because of the insanity of the director changes and the refilming of basically the entire movie, it really limited what she could do with the book to some extent. Um, and so I think in a in a tough situation, she did a, a fantastic job on the book. And it's definitely a, a Star Wars book worth reading, but if you don't read it, you, you're not going to be missing anything. So three out of five Lothcats. And that will wrap us up for this edition of Don't Burn the Sacred Text. We have, we, we don't have, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't really have any new books next, right? We, we There's nothing coming out for a while, so we're going to jump back into the, the previously released books, and I think we're both going to be very excited. Do you know what book comes next? I do. Tell them. Tell them. It's Lost Stars, guys. It's Lost Stars. Whoo! Are you ready for this? Oh, nobody's ready for this. No, I don't nobody's think so. There's no ready. way. You you go into Lost Stars and you're like, I know what's going to happen. It won't tear at me as much, but but it does. It does. <laughs> and just so everyone knows, it's probably going to be maybe four, four and a half hour long episode because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be, we may have to record it across, you know, a couple days or weeks or months um, because it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of oh, such good stuff in that. So if you are, if you're playing along at home and you want to play catch up, that will be the next book um, that we're reading. And then we're going to jump into both of the Battlefront books uh, in one episode together. Um, so don't worry about Battlefront 1. Just read Battlefront 2. Um, but those are those are what are on the lineup next for our books. So until next time, please make sure that you uh, hit that subscribe button on our feed, whether you listen in uh, podcast to – that was not a sentence. I don't know what just came out of my mouth. Whether you listen to your podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever, just hit that subscribe button and you will get all of our shows, including uh, the flagship show, which Drew and I are finally getting back to recording the next episode uh, this Wednesday. So that'll come out later this week or early uh, next week. Uh, Starships, which, of course, is always putting out such great shows and, and having such wonderful guests on. And Forever Star Wars, I know Mark is hard at work on his next episode. So 
They will all be in those feeds. Make sure you check us out on ClashingSabers.net. You can, of course, find all the podcasts there. You can find uh, all the articles we have written and a little uh, article that may be coming from Lindsay here in the near future, which I'm very excited about. And uh, follow us on Clashing Sabers at Twitter. That's kind of the best place to get in contact with us. But you could also email us your thoughts at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. I think that's all the plugs. That's all the ones that I'm going to say because my throat really hurts after saying all of that. That so, was impressive. You know, I'm, we're reading Willy Wonka in at school, and he talks really, really fast. So I have to go, like, half of a page without taking a breath. So I'm getting kind of – I think I'm going to be a rapper pretty soon. I'm pretty legit. <laughs> I think you're there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Lindsay, you want to go ahead and give your plugs? Yeah, of course you guys can find me here and on the clashing sabers website. Um, hit me up on Twitter though. Miss Lindsay G. I would love to hear your thoughts on all things Kira and Emphis nest related. And I did forget one thing. Join us on the Facebook group, Clashing Saber Star Wars community. Such a good group. Dude, the people there are great. No trolls, no just BS you know, that happens at the fandom, like, great people having great conversation, like, ex- it, that community is exactly what I envisioned Clashing Sabers to be. We don't all, we do not all agree with everything. Most of us disagree on a lot of things, but we come in there, we have some fun conversations, we talk about it, uh, you don't get called names, you don't get trolled or bullied or anything like that. It's definitely a sa- safe space. Come share the content that you're making. We have some great artists, we have a Saber Guild that's always... Uh, posting on there i'm trying to think of who else we've we've got drew posted an amazing article uh on his from his personal blog over there so many great people sharing their stuff so if you have some content some star wars content or uh anything like that come come over and hang out with us and let us know what you're working on and until next time keep reading keep writing but whatever you do don't burn the sacred text all right by this point you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text! <laughs>